Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, executive pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. How's it going, man? It's going really good. Really? Yeah, Why? really good. What's up? What's up? What's new? What's cracking? What's, uh, you know, just hanging out, kicking it. Yeah. Well, listen, I know that somebody said recently that they were going to listen to the podcast and uh, after two minutes, they turned it off because we were chatting. Oh, sorry. They're like, I don't have time. Two minutes in, I'm out. Oh, can't I do handle, not want to get to know these people. Why that are I'm they talking? To. I tuned in to hear about Driscoll or Founders or whatever it was mm-hmm. recently, and they're like, two minutes in, and they're talking about their day. Yeah, you know, you know why we do that, everybody? Because it's our podcast, and uh, and, and we're friends. Yeah, and so that's what we do. And uh, yeah, yeah, really yeah. sorry that we're checking in on yeah. each other. Yeah, actually, uh, we're not. So, um, so you, so you're having a good day. Work's been busy though, man. It looks like you've been, it's been, it's been a season church busy, work busy, both busy. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Uh, well, it was going pretty good all week long Mm -hmm. and then it got worse because somebody like just crashed at my place for like Like, almost a week. You have like, it's a struggle for you. You know, you, your, your family is in a season of struggle, right? Needing space. Yeah. Needing time alone. There's eight, what, how many people? Eight people and a dog named Lucifer in my house right now. Well, not right now, but normally. Normally. And then Michael Beck had, Michael the, Beck. had the audacity. The hubris. To stay at your house. To invite himself. To be there and make it nine people and a dog. Yeah, and really, he's he makes it ten. He's very demanding. And, and then you had to go buy a bed because there's no way he was fitting Oh, he on was yours. not going to sleep on the carpet or on the pullout. He wanted to, he's like, I really need an inflatable mattress and not a cheap one. I yeah. Need a good I mean, one. it'd be like, Michael's the kind of guy that if he went off somewhere to a third world country. Exactly. He would. I know what you're going to say. If there's like one bed, one bathroom, just one little space. And 10 people living in the house. He would say, y'all sleep in the kitchen. On the floor. I'm going to sleep in the bed. I think, you know what? I think that happened. Didn't that happen? That to sounds like, that sounds like something Michael Beck would do. Hey, Michael. Hey, Michael. Welcome, Michael. Michael Beck, pleased to meet you. How's it going? <laughs> it's going? It's going well. So some of you guys already know who Michael is. Pastor Michael is the lead pastor of GraceNet in Wellington, New Zealand. Yes. Uh, we are all friends. Uh, and uh, Jimmy and I were there just last year preaching at a mm-hmm. Acts 29 uh, Doctrine and Devotion Combo Conference. Yeah. It was a great time. Some of our favorite people on the planet are there in Wellington Amen. at GraceNet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish some of them could have uh, been here, at least one of our favorite people could have came yeah. uh, to be with us here, but they sent Michael. Yeah. yeah. We got the consolation. Well, Kiwi. Great being with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you Mike, must love the love that we give you. I love the love. Michael, let's just do like a, 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 a brief sort of uh, introduction to uh, the city of Wellington and the church called GraceNet. What is, yeah. what's Wellington like? And mm-hmm. uh, tell us about GraceNet. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, from an American perspective i think how i would introduce it is it's it's just imagine san francisco um truly you know architecture in all hills and everything just shrunk down and uh much much smaller of course but but basically the thing about san francisco you know it's very progressive Mm -hmm. the lgbtq thing is just all over the place except maybe more intensified smaller you know population and just it's it's the political capital. It's where all the universities are. It's the art capital. It's just a real um, stirring pot in that sense. But 
Um, I feel I feel like if San Francisco and Portland, Oregon had a baby, yeah, right. it would be Wellington. I was about to say, yeah, totally. That that would be the add-on there, that hipster sort of thing. So it's it's cool. It's a nice place. Um and the people are awesome, but it's just it's that. And so it's quite difficult. We're right in the inner city. Um And is it more secular? Is it more atheistic or is there more of a religious context? I mean, I would say sort of very almost truly postmodern, yeah. post atheist, post everything. Right, it's just, right. There's no truth. There's no anything. Yeah. And atheist is kind of too dogmatic, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, and so you just have you just have all of that going on. And um, I mean, you know, New Zealand were the first people to give women a vote, you know, and it's just progressive. It's yeah. just had that heritage. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. 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 Thanks, New Zealand. Yeah. And that's where we're going, everybody. I would say I would say a lot of that is good, right? <laughs> And uh, that's cool about New Zealand and yeah. Wellington even. Yeah. And uh, they don't get stuck up on things you often see people get stuck up mm. on. I like that. I think I'm well suited for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, yeah, totally. I mean, you got the double edge to that sword and it's difficult. It's difficult to plant a church. It's difficult to preach, mm-hmm. you know, good yeah edgy doctrine and uh, not be a very small church. Yeah. And so yeah. you're not you're not originally from Wellington no. or New Zealand, right? No, from South Africa, came over to plant the church. That was 15 years ago, about. And uh, yeah, so that's done. It's planted and it's a great church. It's yeah. awesome. I love it. It it's, sounds like a Christian internet service, though. Yeah. Gracenet. Gracenet. That's because we, we got our name <laughs> via prophetic utterance oh yes you you guys started as a legit charismatic church yeah legit and now you are a legit reformed baptist cessationist church like totally like true reformed baptist yes i think so 100 percent. i would say that we are true reformed baptist yeah Yeah. it's great man yeah yeah what are you doing in chicago well, Chicago was all about the X-29 thing, which is the other badge we wear. So we got the X-29 and 1689 thing going on. And uh, I like it, again, because for anyone who knows 1689 anything or uh, you know any sort of fellowships involved in that, mm-hmm. it gets a little bit tidy-whitey sometimes. And, and if, uh, if you don't, if you, let me just, in case you don't know who Michael is, uh, Michael is a tall, uh, pretty fit, uh, bald guy with a Usually he has a big beard and a more, more tattoos than I have. Yeah. So imagine uh, Joe Thorne, taller, taller, fitter, handsomer. Yep. Oh, uh, smarter, smarter. Oh, come on, that's good. I think like you're the Joe Thorne complete package. Yeah. You are oh, what, you know Jen what Jen dreams of. You know what? Oh, oh. I am his Danny DeVito. <gasps> that's that what that is, is. That is the real twins right oh, there. Oh, right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 You are my Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Except we understand you. That is why I love hanging out with you guys. <laughs> See, I do get love. I do. It happened. You just saw that. listen. It just it's a, it's it's just an aggressive love. It's yeah, just a hard love. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> your 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 church is one of my favorite churches. Um, you know, I get the opportunity to preach at a fair bit of places, and uh, you have the that's the warmest, most welcoming people. It's a diverse congregation, generationally, ethnically. It's uh, mm. it's, it's fantastic. I feel at home mm. with your yeah. people. And he says that about every church. No, he I, goes don't. And no I don't. No, I don't. I hate don't, every don't other even, church, but Michael's. Yeah, don't even um, <laughs> don't don't listen to him. So yeah. it's uh, we 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 love it. And um, well, listen, you're in town because of Acts 29 at the yep. Orlando gathering. Yep. Yep. And uh, then we had a chance to like, wait, we get to hang out. Yeah. So let's totally. hang out. And yeah. um, so we, we made that happen. And we, since we have to record a podcast on the 1689, we thought, why don't we bring in- uh, The smartest man we know yeah. behind Renahan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Behind Renahan. Yeah. Nice, nice Jimmy is the Renacant. 
Um, <laughs> what? Uh, what yeah, as you are. Uh, and, but but it just rent a hand, and yep. you like to rent a maybe. So. Um, <laughs> Nice. So we're, what we're going to do is, is we're just going to talk through paragraph one of chapter 19 of the 1689 on the law of God, chapters of the law of God. Uh, let me go ahead and read this. And then what we want to do is um, talk through it and, and have you speak as much as possible to this stuff because everybody gets to hear us talk all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are uh, you're, you're sharper than we are on this stuff. So, I, love, I love this topic. I think it's super involved mm-hmm. in all sorts of things. So, Wonderful. so yeah, paragraph yeah. one. Yeah. God gave to Adam a law of universal obedience written in his heart and a particular precept of not eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, by which he bound him and all his posterity to personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience, promised life upon the fulfilling and threatened death upon the breach of it, and endued with him. Or sorry, endued him with power and ability to keep it. See what happens when you steal the reading from me. I yeah, yeah I took you, that you reading. You tripped and it's you okay. fell in your. You face. know what? I, even if I had the reading, mm-hmm. I would have done that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's just kind of back up a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, why is the doctrine of the law of importance, and why might it be of maybe critical importance today, in particular, mm-hmm. uh, among uh, Christians? Oh, well, uh, many reasons. Um, Some of them are brought out by the chapter later on quite vividly, I think, in terms of just, you know, if we're thinking third use of the law, normative in the Christian life, where does it fit in sanctification, all those kinds of questions, obviously very, very important. Um, But, you know, starting in that first paragraph, I mean, it's woven into the fabric of what I think is an essential theology or biblical theology, covenant theology, covenant theology, however you want to roll with that. In fact, I would say chapter 19 and chapter 7 on, on the covenant need to be read in unison mm. because they are woven together at every oh, point. Oh, we did that. Yeah. When we did. Yeah, that yeah. sounds like yeah. something we, we did. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're, you're way behind. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, great. So that's great. So talk, talk to us a little bit about this. God gave to Adam a law of universal obedience written in his heart. Yeah. So like some people are going to be thinking like, well, wait a minute. The, the only law that God gave Adam was, mm-hmm. hey man, don't eat of that tree. Yep. The knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the only law God gave. But we've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, but uh, for those that are just tuning in, uh, what are they talking about here? Yeah. The law, like where did God give Adam this law of universal obedience? Yeah. So it's assuming um, a lot and that which has already been said. Um, we're talking about the God and covenant. We're talking about a covenant of works, yeah. um, which is an essential piece of theology there because it's really, it's going to show the failure of man mm-hmm. to do what God requires of him. I mean, so then for those like Steve McCoy, that's listening, right. what, what is the covenant of works? Right. So now let me just maybe preface all of this, just saying I am quite a, yeah, I'm a reformed Baptist and I've got a strong Kleinian bent. So much of what I'll say is coming straight out of Klein, but I'm not a, a Presbyterian or I don't right. follow him all the way there, but, but I think he, he really gives to reform Baptists. Certainly. I, know, I love the way that Sam Rennieham, for example, really uses a lot of his stuff. And, um, and, and, you know, how that answers this question is that a covenant of works is essentially, um, it's, it's basically in a nutshell, Hey, this is God. He made you. This is what he asks you to do. He's entered into Sabbath glory the Sabbath rest. He's enthroned in that place. He invites you to come and and uh, and and be with him and there. Join him, right? Fellowship in, into that him. eschatological mm-hmm. Sabbath blessing, and uh, that that place where work ceases, as it were. Um, 
follow me in my work and enter then into that rest is the idea of, of creation, the f- first chapter of Genesis. Um, now, of course, you don't see all of that in the first chapter. It's all being theologically read mm-hmm. back in based mm-hmm. on Romans and whatnot, and we'll get there if we need to. But, but uh, the idea then is just that, yes, as the confession says in paragraph one, um, there is a positive commandment concerning the tree, but there's so much more going on than, yes. than that. And uh, that would have been together with the cultural mandate, the dominion mandate, the, uh, the, the moral law that later is republished at Sinai. And what do you mean by moral law? The Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. essentially, but not exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. So these, like Adam, like it was, it was still uh, God's law, God's will. It was still an obligation for Adam to not only not murder, uh, but to love others. Yeah. Right. And right. So mm-hmm. these were all in effect to, yes. to rest in the Lord. Yeah. And to so all of that was in play, even though there weren't tablets of stone handed to him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now these laws that were given to Adam, um. And this particular precept of not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're saying that that all of that law was given to Adam for what purpose? That was so that he could obey and enter into eternal life with him as a covenant head mm. and all his posterity after him. So he he stands as you know we talk about the last Adam being Christ. He's yeah. the first Adam. He's, He's the, the big one. Poppy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I love it when you call him Big Poppy. <laughs> totally. And, uh, you know, to do this and you will live mm-hmm. is the idea. Um, uh, and, and then if he had entered into that glory, if he had taken of the tree of life as his reward, uh, that would have been it. You know, there we are. And Klein sort of goes on this massive trajectory at that point, just sort of thinking about how things would have been. Wow. And uh, spends, he's admittedly speculative on mm-hmm. these things. But it is fascinating the way he draws together themes of the Old yeah. Testament and uh, what we know Christ achieves for us in glory. And he sort of puts it together and just helps you remember what was on offer at this point. It's kind of like this idea that man wasn't just put into the garden to just, you know, be this like subsistence farmer, mm-hmm. you know, for a while. He was to exercise the maximum brain and brawn of humanity for the glory of God having complete dominion, filling the earth with the mm-hmm. glory of God's image through, through uh, you know, um, as his posterity is born, Eve is his bride helper in every sense in that way. And uh, he, uh, he needs to do this. And, 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 and then if he had done it, if he had completed it, then he moves into this eternal state where he's beyond probation. He cannot, mm-hmm. he cannot sin and neither can anyone else. So it's almost, you can kind of imagine that for a second as you see all the rest of the biblical data right, and, right. Uh, and then you come back and you realize, okay, well that's not how it turned out, but it's kind of, <laughs> it's, it's, it sits the playing field, I think, for understanding what Jesus does. And well, Michael, yeah. like, okay, so you, what you're saying, cause it, it, we see this in paragraph one, right? That um, it promised life upon the fulfilling. So yeah. should Adam had yeah. fulfilled uh, the, the the laws given to him in this covenant by mm-hmm, God, mm-hmm. life would have been the reward, mm-hmm. and threatening death upon the breach of it, mm-hmm. um, and endued him with power and ability to keep it. So it was a possibility for him. He was it was mm-hmm. possible for Adam to do this, but he failed. Yeah. But what about this? It says that uh, by which God bound him and all his posterity to personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience. Yeah. So if you're saying that, well, God. Uh, brought Adam into this covenant of works mm-hmm. as our representative head. Mm-hmm. If he were to keep the law and fulfill it, then he would have entered into life. Why is it saying that this is uh, 
bound to the the posterity of Adam as well. Yeah, you know, have you ever looked at Thomas Boston's fourfold state of yeah. man? So that's the idea. I mean, what do we know? We think about that in terms of redemption as it's played out, but. And so we're thinking, okay, when we're in glory, we won't have sin and that sort of thing. What does that mean, though? It means perfect conformity to the law of God. It means that mm-hmm. we're we're being obedient and never have the the possibility of of, of sinning ever again. Uh, it's the same thing. It's the same thing for Adam. If he had succeeded, he would have brought his posterity into an eschatological glory where they uh, continue to keep the law. Keep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it, nothing. Nothing falls away from the law. It's it, the law is. It flows out of the constituent being of God. Mm, You know, as surely as God is, his law is. Mm. It can never go anywhere, you know, because God is holy. Mm. And so it's there. It's just us. We're the only ones that are the problem, you know. Yeah. Well, what are some of the hangups that people have with this, right? With paragraph one, Mm -hmm. there are various theological traditions that are popular that, that hate this. Totally. So, yeah. so a lot of our listeners are sympathetic. A lot of mm-hmm. our listeners are already down. They're like they, the covenant of works. They're, yep. Yep. they're in. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they, they love it. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, we do have a, a growing number of listeners, quite a few people that are not reformed. Yeah. Uh, they, they're, they're just sort of getting introduced to these doctrines mm-hmm. and they're hearing from different people. Mm-hmm. What are some of the hangups that people have with just paragraph one, this idea that there was law uh, and covenant given to Adam, posterity, the whole thing, this... Probationary period. Yep. What are the hangups people have? Well, you know, it's um, dispensationalism. I feel like we could do a whole podcast as we branch out on that. And it would be very, very different in that um, there's an interesting overlap in that they would see some sort of test happening, you know, in the in the dispensational scheme. So if he had succeeded, then, you know, things would have been different, but he failed. And so therefore... And they, they, they talk about more of a... As a time of innocence right exactly so they don't want to see it as something that has any ongoing relevance he failed stop start again new story new dispensation Uh, new dispensation and so so on so they'd have a problem in that sense not so much on the probation issue itself which i think is helpful for a lot of guys to know because you know it's not that they're even if they're on the other end if they're on dispensationalism they're not really fighting with our probation scheme. It's more that we're seeing an ongoing relevance mm-hmm. for, and really not only that, but uh, the laying of the platform for understanding what Jesus did for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just to jump there for a second, and I think this would benefit a lot of people to know. They don't think about this often. But, you know, if you think about Jesus coming to obey a Jewish law, you know, that's you know, okay, fine. If you're Jewish and you've really messed up on the Jewish law every day of your life, you'd be, you know, thank goodness. Thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you for coming to save me from Jewish law as a Jew. But I mean, for a Gentile or for anyone else, we just, we just literally don't care about the Jewish law at all. So at best we're like, wow, that's amazing that he did that. Jesus did something for Jews. And yeah, he he saved Jews. And so how is that relevant to us exactly? Mm -hmm. Well, this first paragraph, yeah, is why it is relevant because later we'll talk mm. about it and and I think maybe even in the second paragraph here it'll say that that mosaic republication of this law was essentially the same so what was in the heart of every man now it's relevant not only for Jews but Gentiles also is um, is that which Christ came to fulfill not only for Jews but symbolically for all people um, in, in filling the mosaic law he he fulfilled the uh, the law written on Adam and everyone else's heart and the covenant of works and some, you know what I mean? And, um, and so all of a sudden it becomes very, very relevant to see the ongoing idea and the way it connects. Um, there are some, you know, specific, there are explicit texts 
to look at in that regard where you see Paul saying, hey, listen, everyone's under condemnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jews, because, hey, look, they failed to keep the law, but Gentiles, by just not doing what their conscience is telling them, right. them to do, are under the same condemnation. What's he doing there? He's yeah. forming a essential identification with the Jewish law and what is on the heart of every man in Adam, which is what we're talking about in this first paragraph. Mm-hmm. God gave to Adam a law of universal obedience written on his heart. That is, that is the same moral law. So I know one of the one of the groups that does not like this yeah. are uh, New Covenant theologians. Yeah. Now, uh, and and in part, what's happening is because um, you're, you're you're suggesting and you're simply <laughs> affirming what the 1689 says, what mm. we believe. That there was this covenant of works, mm. obey and live, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, disobey and die. Yeah, you and your posterity. Uh, well, uh, Adam disobeyed and mm-hmm. died, mm-hmm. and so did we. Mm-hmm. So after this covenant of works was broken, there begins a covenant of grace. Yeah, and this covenant of grace is is what? How is it different? Well, it's uh, you know it's the co- it is the covenant of works, but but. It is achieved for us by another. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I think it's so important to get the, co- the first covenant of works down, because otherwise you can't really understand what Jesus is doing. Uh, imagine Adam doing it again perfectly and then giving it to us freely by grace. That's kind of, you know, then you're in the realm of what Jesus did and why we call it a covenant of grace. It's not that we take the law out of the picture. Mm-hmm. The law is still there, ex- functioning in really exactly the same way, except now it's fulfilled for us on our behalf mm-hmm. and then given to us freely by grace. So uh, that's, I think, you know, one of the big things to take away from that. But I think also that, you know, you, again, you want to make sure, and, and I realize, you know, as we're talking, even as you say, that a covenant of grace begins after the fall, you know, there are a lot of nuances as to what the Reformed Baptists might right. say there. And, um, and uh, how that might differ from Presbyterian thinking without getting too detailed on that now. Um, I think the big thing to make sure to distinguish, you mentioned New Covenant theology yeah. has taken exception, but this maybe is not even, Covenant theology, New Covenant. Mm-hmm. New Covenant theology, yeah. Uh, but, you know, maybe even more intramural is this idea of wanting to take the covenant of works away because it implies that we deserve something mm-hmm. if we obeyed. So, you know, this is a real reform thing now. Um, where people are saying, listen, it's, it's, there's no covenant of works, covenant of grace. There's one big mono covenant. They're mono covenantal. And that's what they mean by that. It's all by and grace. Who are, who are some of these? Who are some of the, well, I mean, this will lead, I mean, the big, the big guy with Norman Shepard and, you know, John Murray sort of laid the seed beds for that. That led, led to the Norman Shepard controversy. Um, that, that's sort of worked its way out in in uh, federal visions certainly mm-hmm. but uh you see the basic idea and new perspective on paul so it's all okay. very 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 relevant right. in that regard um and, and they're saying listen we don't want to see this law as as something that was in any way indicative of a works arrangement that adam would then receive a reward for mm-hmm. and what they say about the first adam they got to say about the second adam so then it's true of the, of the second Adam as well, that he received what he received by grace. And it's all by grace, all this one big covenant of grace. I think in the, it, they want to keep law out of it, not to be legalists. Mm. Ironically, they lead to a direct legalist position because they say that um, the law is grace then. You know, uh, if you think about the law as the same thing as the gospel, you're doing what the 
Judea, uh, the Judaizers mm. did in, in Galatians, and and this is this is a serious problem, and it's um it's all over the place, you know, uh, with not so much in Reformed Baptist theology because right. we're coming at this thing from a Reformed Baptist perspective. It might be helpful to say this that the confession, for whatever we want to debate in house, mm. you know, it keeps us totally safe from that stuff, right? And I love that. I think the 1689 does a great job on that angle. Now, what about New Covenant theology yeah. is pushing back when we're suggesting there's this there's this covenant of works in the garden? Mm. Um, wh- wh- what is their primary objection? Like, where are they? Because yeah. they, I'll be honest, yeah, they loud. Are they? They're, yeah, I, I haven't they, I haven't heard a lot. They, they're, they're, there's like five of them, <laughs> but they're really loud. Yeah, and right. uh, Joel said a case. And um, <laughs> a friend of mine, okay. and uh, just homeboy, just loves to just swing for the fences, man. Right, he right, just right. these guys, and I'll be honest, like I, I, I'm generally annoyed by a lot of what they say <laughs> and, and uh, the assumptions yeah. that are behind what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, what are just what what's, what are some basic lines of thought that they bring to this conversation? Yeah, yeah. Um, when they disagree with us, well, I think that um, it's and let me say it's been a while since New Covenant theology has been relevant to anything in my wheelhouse. But well, it's, it, it's interesting because New Covenant theology has never been relevant to anything, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I did... They've just know, been loud. Joel said a case. <laughs> if I'm not... You know, to be as charitable as I can yeah. to begin with, um, I think Douglas Moo has had a lot of um, involvement in that movement and maybe even is a New Covenant theologian, maybe mm-hmm. Don Carson as well. Yeah. So where they excel, where they do a good job, and where, I, I see it just pertaining to this first paragraph, especially, um, and maybe the the last few in this chapter, is that they've done a lot of work on challenging artificial, um, you know, distinctions in reformed thought in you know cer- civil ceremonial uh, moral law, and we, the moral comes through in a certain way, and everything else falls away. And they're going, wait a minute, is that is that true? And exegetically, have we not just theologized that a little bit too much? And uh, they've come up with a uh, an insistence that really the Old Testament is a certain package deal on the law. And then while they're not all opposed to there being commandments in the New Testament, right. they've got a, they're thinking about grace kind of beginning at that point mm-hmm. and, um, and thinking more in terms of the law of Christ. Right. Now, that started off a wave of thinking or maybe merged with the wave of thinking that some good Reformed theologians have been playing around with, Meredith Klein being one of them. Um, Lee Irons, another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's done some great work on that. And uh, they've just they've come up with this, I think, a much better approach to seeing the law as a whole. It'd be too detailed to go into it now, but you know that I, I'm appreciative for New Covenant theology in that regard. Um, the the thing the, the mistake uh, I feel is that they they end up not having um, a moral law that is equal to the Decalogue um, in some way. And so they can't make sense of what Paul is saying when, you know, I mentioned that that uh, in chapter right. two earlier, where uh, Paul's bringing everyone under condemnation because mm-hmm. of that very, very point. They just stumble on that text. It's kind of one of those, for me, it's a litmus test point. You know, if you can't exegete a text properly, if your system doesn't give you what you need at that point, yeah, they just, they would rather see that say nothing at all than mm. say what it says, essentially. And um, I see that as a problem. So you need some sense of connecting the, the story of Israel to the story of man. And I don't think they can do that well. And then, of course, let's not even talk about grace, because, uh, you know, as Reformed Baptists, whether we want to debate about the administration of the covenant of grace or not, at the end of the day, we all see 
one one salvation as yes. they do, but yep. we actually see it administered. We see it um, brought together through a covenantal arrangement where they want to almost form a halfway mark, mark mm-hmm. to dispensationalism. You know, they want to abandon the dispensational tests, right. but they want to hold on to the sharp law of the Old Testament and the grace of the new, mm. and in that sense, form a kind of dispensationalism. So they've been appealing, I think, to people that have wanted to come out of a dispensational right. way of thinking and not go the whole way. Yeah, I would say to those people, Amen. A lot of people have done that. And uh, a lot of good stuff has come out of that way of thinking. Just consider also that there are a lot of nuances within the Reformed Baptist tradition that allow you to hold some of the the best of the New Covenant theological tradition, uh, even though it's a young tradition, uh, and and bring it into a more robust, historically informed confession. That's a good word because um, like we're teasing our friend Joel. Uh, Joel's a sweet dude, smart smart dude um and a godly man mm. um new, new covenant theologian and I, I it was interesting because i would say of the various theological tribes that we interact with i'm probably most often most challenged mm. by new covenant yeah pushback yeah and i'm not pu- i'm not challenged but i mean i am but like i don't feel the challenge from a presbyterian on mm-hmm. some of these issues mm. like it's like okay well yeah. we're pretty close yeah. and like what a, uh dispensational nothing no. like that's just that's Do you know of, why that is because, you know, ironically, dispensationalism and Presbyterianism, they really push it from that systems viewpoint that just we've got the system, we're making it work. And I think just everyone in a postmodern scenario, it just does. It's not as forceful as it used to be. We yeah. want to question things. We want to deconstruct things. You don't even have to be postmodern. It's just part of us now. We just don't want to just receive the dogma quite the same way. But we're all willing to work with the text. Yeah. And, you know, dispens- think about I love telling this story as well. I'm so encouraged by it. But you think about uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, for example. I mean, they started off in some pretty brutal dispensationalism, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Really crazy stuff. But because of that ethos in the text, they just always love the text. They're Bible guys. They're Bible guys. Look how they have worked themselves out of the crazy stuff Mm -hmm. into a progressive dispensationalism that some are even calling progressive covenantalism, which is very, very close, let's be honest, to either New Covenant Theology or Reformed Baptist, which is a lot better than the Larkin diagram and whatnot. So, you know, when that sort of, you hardly ever see things moving in a good direction. I'm very encouraged by that. And the same thing with New Covenant Theology in that they'll push back on exegesis. Yes. They're, you know, the Carson guys and the, mm-hmm. and the Moo guys. And, and I, you know, amen. Amen to that. We've, if, if, we, if we don't have something that is substantial yeah. to say about the way that text integrates with our system, I, th- I think it is. We need to say, hey, that's wrong. Or we need to go back to the drawing board. One of the reasons I love Klein so much is he essentially did that for the Reformed system. Yeah, where they just sort of throw out the proof text. He's like, listen, let's go deep on this and make sure that we're coming out uh, where we need to be. And he did that. And, you know, so again, you know, keep going. You can't go wrong if you're if you're sticking ruthlessly to the text. You keep mentioning Klein. Why don't you just give like a, a, a 30 second like explanation to some of our people who may not know yeah. who you were, who is this, you know, is this, uh, who is Klein? Uh, Meredith Klein is uh, my girlfriend. 
uh, the, Jihad? <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, Candace is not. Uh, uh, Candace, don't uh, listen. Candace, what, what, your wife's name is Candace. No, 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 Meredith. Lady. Just kidding. Meredith. People think uh, Meredith Klein is a girl. It's a. It's a guy. Uh, he's a guy, and um, he was a great, great Old Testament scholar. Um, taught at a few different places, Westminster, mm-hmm. Escondido being one of them, and um, wrote a whole bunch of really complicated, very difficult, very difficult, inaccessible books. Um, but full of gold for mm. those who are willing to go there. Came it's almost uh, if you've ever read any Gerhardus Fuss, he's kind of Gerhardus Fuss 2.0. Mm. You know, it just just ramps it to the next level. Same biblical theological tradition, but just had some idiosyncrasies that 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 I that I loved, and I thought that that really helped uh, confessionalism and challenged confessionalism. And as uh, John Frame talks about him, he was he's just one of those exegetes that was. Uh, willing to be creative within the bounds of orthodoxy, and um, anyway, so he, you know you can check more about uh, more out about him. Um, I, I actually do a, a, a Meredith Monday if if mm-hmm. I'm allowed to do a shameless plug uh, yeah. for for my podcast. Yeah, we, we we're going to hit we, it later, but go ahead. What's your What's your podcast? We, uh, it's uh, Two Age Sojourner. Two Age Sojourners sounds Sojourner, new agey, but okay. Two Age Sojourner dot com if you want to check it out. Um, but yeah, Meredith Monday. Is uh, is where we talk a little bit about client stuff and nice. make it accessible. And the guy I'm co-hosting with mm-hmm. there is um, uh, he he runs a like a supercharged Kleinian, you know, crazy nerd, awesome uh, podcast just about client stuff. And his um, name is and his name is Chris Kahi. And um, because of you. We are now friends with Chris. Carver. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we, we love all him. Had a thing. Totally, exactly. And um, and he runs that with Todd, Todd Bourdain, also great guy. So he's okay. Yeah, yeah, he's all right. Like so it. we've been talking a lot about obedience, yeah. right? So what about the role of obedience in the life of faith today? Yeah, yeah, that's the big debate right there. I mean, what what is um. You know, you got neonomianism, you got antinomianism, you've got all these things, you got legalism, mm-hmm. you know, where, where do we end up? How does the law work with obedience? We have to be obedient, um, but not as those under a covenant of works, but as those under a covenant of grace, mm. which means, as the Puritans used to talk about it, it's an evangelical obedience. It's something that comes forth from our gratitude uh, for for the full works that have already been worked out for us, the full obedience, uh, should I mm-hmm. say, that has been imputed to us already for our full righteousness. We're beyond probation. And therefore, we seek to glorify God. We want to serve Him with all of our hearts. What is our guide? The law, as the confession says a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And um, it gives, I love it. I love the way the confession does that, yeah. by the way. Yeah. It just gives you a total, this is what we mean, this is what we don't mean, this is... This is uh, why this is helpful. Uh, it strikes you down. It shows you your sin. It shows you your need for Christ. It shows you uh, how to please God. So even though we're not under a covenant of works, works still matter. Works still matter. There are good works. Yeah. They're called good works for a reason, not it, dead works. No. Amen. And so these these good works, the, the obedience that God calls us to, the law mm-hmm. should be a delight. Oh, there should be mm-hmm. great Psalm 119. Joy, right? Yeah. How can you how can you take the position that the law is all bad? That the law's only purpose is to condemn and to convict, yeah. and there is no grace in it. That yeah. there is. I mean, it, it is a. Would you say that it is a means of grace, as it is a part of God's revealed will and a part of Scripture? 
Uh, oh, totally. I mean, it's the word, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, there is no grace in it, and that's where it gets confusing. People talk about grace in the law, and I get it. Like, I totally understand what they mean. Obviously, it's a great blessing. I think it's just when we the word grace, mm-hmm. we've spent so much time defining that theologically. It's mm-hmm. become so technical. It's so important. It's a hard word to just throw non-technically around, mm-hmm. you know. And what I mean by Which that some is most people do. It though, yeah. yeah. So non-technically, what we mean when we say the law is a grace to us is the law is a great condescension of God to us, a great gift. He didn't have to give it. It's a delight that we know what He wants. It's all we don't deserve any of it. That sort of thing is all. All absolutely in place, but I think when you have grace defined as uh, God's demerited favor, mm. you run into problems there um, a- a- as you as you work out how that looks for salvation and uh, what Christ earned for us. But you know, again, that gets technical. But Amen, Amen. It's it's something that we we ought to delight in, um, uh, and and you see it come through. You know, all the way. You just read it. Jesus's words, one John. Wow, you know. Guys, listen, here's how you know who's pretty much from Jesus and who's from the devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they, they obey the commandments, you know. Um, so I think that's, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how people take a different position there. But Now, um, just so I don't want anybody to get confused. Yeah. Okay. You said one John, which is how uh, President Trump talks about uh, uh, the first and second letters uh, in the uh, yeah, New Testament. Uh, two Corinthians. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. And, and everybody was like, wow, this guy doesn't know the Bible. I don't want people to think you don't know the Bible <laughs> because you say one John. Right. You say one John. First John? Be- no, because you like Trump. All right. Uh, anyways. Um, <laughs> the Trump shall resound. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that uh, Jimmy voted for Trump? I did not vote. I don't did worry you, about what I voted did, for. Did you know that Jimmy gets emails from President Trump? I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Don't believe him. You should send him back though, because I'm a two kingdoms guy. <laughs> mm, okay. So we don't talk. We politics. need to do an. We need to do a whole episode or two on two kingdoms and oh, have yeah. you on. That would be. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. Um, just a couple of things here before we wrap it up. Um, number one, people can find you at two sojourner. What is it? What is what is your thing again? TwoAgeSojourner.com. That's it. TwoAgeSojourner.com. You're putting out like five episodes a week. Six. Six. Wow. Six don't you follow? No, I don't even listen. So uh-huh. Six episodes a week. Uh-huh. Um, and you can't even tell. You, do you know the theme for each day? Um, obviously, Meredith Monday. Okay. What about Tuesday? Tuesday is Two Kingdom Tuesday. Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. Wednesday? Whatever Wednesday. Oh, you got it. Thursday? Theology Thursday. Oh. oh Friday? Funky Town Friday. And then Saturday. <laughs> See you Sunday. There you go. See, and that, and that Sunday you get the I good job, Joe. I'm really proud of you. So, uh, a sort of four out of six. <laughs> don't do math. All right, yeah, dude. You're on, shaming dude. me now. I was going to let it slide. Good job. Now, um, so people can find you there. Yeah. Uh, Two Age Sojourner on Instagram. Yep, you're there. Yep. Um, and can they listen to your sermons online? Yeah. So if you go to the same website, you'll get to the GraceNet. You'll have a link there. Great. Go to the GraceNet sermons. Yeah. What if somebody wanted to read, uh, like a a book mm. that's going to nothing, nothing too um, academic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What is an accessible book mm. that people would benefit from regarding Klein? Okay. And what is an accessible book that would help them regarding covenant theology? Okay. Great. I got two. Okay. Perfect. Um, the, I could even probably condense those both into one Ooh. sacred bond by, by, um, Oh my goodness. I'm drawing a blank. What is his name? Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Brown, Michael Brown. That's right. Um, whew, Down, downtown I, Michael Brown. I yeah, know him. No, no, I, I thought it was Barton Brown. I'm, oh, I, right, right, I, right, I didn't yeah. say anything. Yeah. So, um, Sacred Bond is amazing as a just intro to covenant theology. It's it's going to lead you to a Presbyterian position. So obviously, you got to just remember that. And 
Uh, I'm never not, go I'm, full Presbyterian. Yeah, no, I mean, that, but hopefully the discerning reader will see that. And uh, but it, Chris Kahi um, wrote a book called "The Tale of Two Adams." Uh, we're currently working through that book on Meredith Monday. On, on the on, so you can get the book for free. You could also buy it. Buy it if you can. Yeah, um, it. it's it's really a great book. Just just setting it all in place. Law of God, justification, covenants. It's all there in in intro form. Um, so I would put that out. And then and then you know I've just maybe just another shameless plug. I just only say this because I I'm not aware of anyone that's done a fresh series on Genesis. But I've just a lot, a lot of Klein's uh, work was on Genesis. Right. Yeah. And he went from Genesis everywhere else. And uh, I've just preached um, through Genesis. It took me four years. It's all on on the GraceNet uh, sermon uh, page. But it, I mention it because it's basically explicit plagiarism of Klein made accessible. So you know, if you just want to audio something rather than read something, that that Great. would be good. Yeah, mm, that's good stuff, Michael. Um, we love you, and I love you. Guys. I love you more. Yeah. We- <laughs> you love me more than I love both you more. We're yeah, so grateful for your 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 friendship yeah. and your example, uh, your your mind, uh, your theology, and uh, for you know we we joke a lot with each other. We joke a lot with you. We probably joke too much at times, uh, especially with those that we love. We just enjoy um, the relationships that we have, and you mean more to us than we can possibly express. So thank you, man. Thanks for um, hanging out with us. And man, love you guys. Um, it's been it's been really good. I've got a, an amazing quote by A.A. A. Hodge. Can I read that out? Archibald Alexander yes. Hodge? Yes. Yeah, now, I want to hear it. Yeah, a few things, but yeah, here we go. Wait, wait, give us a little bit of a lead into it. Right. He's, uh, he was, you know, that great theologian. He's got some differences with me in terms of covenant of theology. So, well, not, what is he I'm, talking about here? Uh, he's talking about the law. Okay. The paragraph. Uh, that we just read. Mm-hmm. We didn't kind of get to those last paragraphs. So I no, think we're doing some... one paragraph at a time. Oh, you are? Yeah. All yeah, right, we well, do this... one paragraph at a time. But go time. ahead, read it now. It'll tease it. Well, uh, yeah, this will be great as a lead up to whatever you do next. Christ fulfilled the law for us vicariously as the condition of salvation. And on that basis, we are justified. But no one can be vicariously conformed to the law for us as a rule of conduct of moral character. Therefore, while Christ fulfilled the law for us, the Holy Spirit fulfills the law in us by sanctifying us into complete conformity to it. And in obedience to this law, the believer brings forth those good works, which are the fruits, though not the ground for our salvation. I love that. Mm. Isn't that good? Amen. That is strong. And is that outlines? What is that in? Uh, Yeah, I think it's outlines. Outlines So if you guys want to get that outlines of theology, Mm. classic book, you should have it. Great format. Love, love that book. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So Jimmy, if they want to jump in on this, uh, are you on the Twitter? Yep. Are you on on Facebook? Two Age Sojourner. So uh, in the show notes, we'll have, how do they connect with you on Twitter? Is it at Two Age Sojourner? Yeah. All right. So if you want to engage, hit up Michael, tag him as well. But Jimmy, how do they get us involved and join our conversation? Yeah, you can follow us online on Instagram and Twitter at Doc and Devo or on Facebook slash Doctrine and Devotion. You can head to the website, DoctrineDevotion.com. There you can contact us. You can sign up for the email blast or hit up the store, JoeFoStore.com and grab some Mm -hmm. gear. Fresh Pod every Monday and Thursday, blog posts on Wednesdays, video content on Fridays, and pretty soon, Joe and I are going to be making an announcement oh, big for enough. those of you on the West Coast. West Coast. Stay tuned. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna squash this okay, beef sh- between yep. the West Coast yep. and the Midwest. Here we go. Yep. Later. Not going to say what it is, though. Later. Conference. Nope. <laughs>